And what we're going to do tonight is look at dinosaurs in a very different way. We're going to look at it through the Bible's lens, through the way the Bible tells us. Now, the Bible tells us that God created the universe and everything that's in it in six days, all right? And he did certain things on each day. So what did he create on day one? Does anybody know? Yes, sir? I am so impressed. Do you know how many adults don't get that question correct? I was all prepared for an incorrect answer, but you are correct. He created the light and the night and day. Very good, okay? Day two is a little harder. What, what did he create on two? Somebody know? Yes, sir. Not, ooh, Almost, not the fish, but you are right, sky. That's one of the English words translated. It's, it's expanse. It's the, it's the space from below, above and below the waters is what it turns out. All right, now, how about day three? The f- well, sort of the firmament. Yes, yes. All right, how about day three? Now everybody's scared. Yes, sir. Nope, not yet. Okay, no takers, huh? Yes? Are you just guessing? (laughs) Go ahead. What do you think? Land. Land. Very good. Excellent. And what is on the land along with the land? No, actually plants that grew out of the land. But very good. You did get that. All right, day four. Yes, sir? Very good. Excellent. Man, we got some intelligent young people here, you know? Very good. You are correct. Okay, now, day five. Some of you are very excited about this one. Yes? No, no, not quite yet. Yes. Yes, ma'am. No? Boy, you guys really wanted this one to come up, and now we're there. Come on, what is it? Fish, thank you. And? Yeah, the flying and the swimming things. Now, day six. Before man, but you are correct. Yes, man and before man. Somebody just said it. Land animals. Okay, you guys got it now? Now that you see this, what is the answer to this question? Which of these animals has been on earth the longest? The bird and the fish. It's really easy now. Based on the Bible, that's exactly right. And how long were they here um, before the land animals came? One day, and dinosaurs are land animals. Now, do you see how this is a really different story than what we hear? You know, but it's interesting because also it says that both dinosaurs or land animals and man were created on day six, okay? So what are we saying here? This is something that's a little crazy for some people because that would mean that dinosaurs and man existed at the same time, according to a straightforward reading of the Bible. Now, if you need any proof of that, I have my Kodak study Bible that might give you some of that, but (laughs) probably not too reliable. But again, keep in mind that what Jesus said, he said, if I've told you earthly things and you do not believe, how then will you believe when I tell you heavenly things? And you know what? That's the same way with the people we're trying to reach with the gospel. 
is if, if in this earthly realm about dinosaurs in the millions of years, if they believe that to be true and they don't believe the Bible to be true, then how will they see the heavenly things? Those things about the gospel and what Jesus Christ did to save us. And that's why we need to understand all kinds of things, including things about dinosaurs. Now we're going to, there's really two different ways you can look at dinosaurs. You can look at them through evolutionary glasses, let's say, or Bible glasses, all right? So for example, right now I can tell you with absolute certainty and being completely objective that in the back row right now, there is a, uh, a man. Well, I'm pretty sure it's a man. However, however, I can tell you that if that is a man, I can tell you for an absolute fact, based on what I can see with my own eyes right now, that he has no eyes, no nose, and no mouth. That's exactly what I see right now. That's what I see. He doesn't have eyes, nose, and mouth. Oh, wait, wait. Oh, what was that? Louder? Put my glasses back on. Okay, let's see. Oh, I was wrong. He does have eyes, nose, and mouth. He's a handsome young man. However, however, do you see that basically the way we look at dinosaurs are kind of like glasses. Glasses help me focus the information. Now, this man did not change between when I was looking at him without my glasses and my glasses. Nothing changed. But the way that I focused and the information did because of my glasses. And they are like the focus point. We call this a worldview. It's the way we see the world. And if we see the world as evolution being true, we're going to look at dinosaurs in a completely different way than if we look at them with Bible glasses. And that's what we're going to do today. You see, if you look at dinosaurs through evolutionary glasses, you see millions of years of death and suffering. For the survival of the fittest to be true, there must be things to die. The weak die off, the strong live and pass on their genes to the next generation. And including, like we talked about today, the fossil record shows us exactly that evidence of death. However, that stands in contrast to what the Bible tells us. Now, there was death, but not before Adam. Remember talking about that this morning, you guys? All right? But here's the thing. We're going to do something different, and we're going to look at dinosaurs with biblical glasses on today. All right. One thing that you might not know is that if we do look at dinosaurs through the Bible, then that would mean that when God originally created them, before the fall, they were not ferocious meat eaters. Now, you might be thinking, you've got to be kidding. I mean, they have those sharp teeth. And I've seen the movies. They're out to get us, right? And I have personal experience in that myself. However, however... What we're going to do today is instead we're going to look at dinosaurs through a different idea. We're going to use a different starting point, the Bible. And the Bible tells us that originally both man and animal ate plants. You guys remember that? So if that's the case, then that means that we and the dinosaurs and the lions and tigers and bears. Thank you. A few of you helped me out. I appreciate that. We're originally vegetarian. Now, you might be thinking, that can't be true. I mean, when you look, I mean, look at these sharp teeth. Obviously, this animal looks like it was designed to hold its prey with its front teeth, and those back teeth, they they could cut a piece of paper. They're so sharp and grind through meat, you know? 
Now, does anybody have any idea what species this is? Yes, sir? Sabertooth, okay. Any other guesses? A fox? Or it might be a fruit bat. All right, now, does anybody out there want to take a wild guess? What's the main diet of a fruit bat? Does anybody? Yeah, what do you think? Fruit, very good, very good. So, folks, in this case, those sharp, ferocious teeth, would you agree those are pretty mean-looking? All right. In this case, that does not mean that it eats meat because this animal does not ever eat meat. All it means is it has sharp teeth. That's all it means. All right. How about this guy? What is that? Yes? Saber-toothed tiger? (laughs) Or it's a deer. This deer lives in Asia. And all it eats is leaves, berries, and saplings, no meat. So again, sharp teeth does not mean that it eats meat. It only means that it has sharp teeth. You've seen it with your own eyes, right? So we need to look at how we interpret it. How about this guy? You guys know what this is, right? Okay. But did you know a number of species of piranha do not eat meat? So again, sharp teeth does not always mean that it eats meat. It just means that it has what? Sharp teeth, that's it. All right, how about this guy? Pretty mean looking. I'll give you a clue. It is a bear. Okay. No meat. Mostly bamboo. By the way, most bears, the majority of their diet is not meat. Okay, they, they, they are actually omnivores. They eat both, and the majority of their, of their uh, meals are not meat. So, folks, have we seen here evidence that shows that just because animals have sharp, ferocious-looking teeth does not mean that God designed them to eat meat? Do you guys agree? Does that make sense? All right. In fact, has anybody here ever carved a pumpkin? Yeah, have you done that? Yes, ma'am. What did you use to carve the pumpkin? Knife. What kind of knife? I have no idea. A, a sharp knife, exactly, right. A sharp knife, it comes in handy. You know, so really, this actually doesn't, this kind of makes sense. Now, I know that seems funny, but folks, didn't we just, didn't we just have examples of animals with pretty ferocious-looking teeth that do not eat meat? All right? Keep in mind, like we talked about, when we dig up a fossil, all right, it doesn't come with a label on it that tells us everything about it. What we do is we use, you might say, our glasses or the way we view our world in order to interpret what we think happened in the past. And what we're going to do tonight, like I said, is we're going to look at dinosaurs through biblical glasses. For example, I'm going to show you another fossil like we looked at today. And when I look at these fossils here with biblical glasses, I think we find something very interesting. Here we have two dinosaurs. On the left is Protoceratops, and there on the right is Velociraptor. Now, Velociraptor's arm is stuck inside Protoceratops' mouth. It looks like they're in the middle of being in battle, like they're fighting. All right? But folks, I want to let you know, when they dug up these two dinosaurs, they did not pose them in the museum this way. This is exactly how they were buried in what's called the matrix. When the, when the layers buried it, this was the position they were in at the time they were buried. <laughs> now, when I see this, this looks like a catastrophic event. 
almost like they're flash frozen in this position and buried quickly. Probably lots of confusion because all kinds of things are going on and maybe this guy says, hey, I think I'll kill something right now, but didn't quite have a chance. They both died in this catastrophic event. And can you think of anything in the Bible that would explain things like this in the fossils we saw this morning? Huh? Worldwide flood. Now, we only have about 1,200 dinosaur skeletons in our museums, uh, complete uh, dinosaur skeletons in our museum. Really isn't that common. We have lots more bones, but what we really have lots of is these. These are dinosaur tracks. We have at least millions, and some would say it approaches a billion trackways of dinosaurs. All right? Now, let me ask a question. In this case, or in, if you had a deer that left a track in your backyard, all right, how long would it last? Millions of years, right? Right? Come on. I mean, so so what, what happens? Rain, something's going to happen. So the only way we can save that track would be maybe to put some plaster of Paris on it in order to preserve that track. Or for it to be buried quickly... And given the right chemical composition, it could turn to stone, as what happened here. Now, this is from what we call the theropod dinosaur. Those are the ones with the big legs in the back and the little tiny arms up here, right? All right, but notice here, the tracks on the left show how these were uh, planted. The left foot leg plants, and the right leg is slipping. Do you see that? Plant, slip, plant, slip. There's a force pushing against this dinosaur. And do you see these lines right here? Those are ripple marks caused by water, rapidly moving water. All right? And these tracks were going uphill, much like this here. And guess what? We have hundreds of dinosaurs, both carnivore, herbivore, and omnivore, all going the same direction, uphill, with water ripple marks leaving its tracks that are eventually catastrophically buried... Does this remind you of anything that might have happened in the Bible? You know, these dinosaurs are escaping a catastrophic flood, right? This is what the evidence is telling us. So when we look at dinosaurs, we need to look at them through lenses that we would get through the Bible. Now, is the word dinosaur in the Bible? No, it's actually not. And there's a good reason for that. You see, the word dinosaur was invented in 1841 by a fellow named Sir Richard Owen. All right, and the reason he named this, he came up with this word, is because this is when the very first dinosaur bones were being discovered in the 1800s. Would you guys do me a favor and remember that? When were the first dinosaur bones discovered? In the 1800s. Let's keep that in mind. But... When he found this giant iguanodon bone, he came up with this name, dinosaur, which means terrible lizard. But you know what? This word was invented after the first English translations of the Bible. So it's no wonder that a word that didn't exist would not be in their very first English translations. However, there is a word that appears in English in the King James Version that occurs 34 times. 34 times all right, that sounds like it might be giving us a little hint of something that reminds me of a dinosaur. Do you know what English word that might be? 34 times. No, it's only in there once or twice. Yes? Very good. Excellent. What we're talking about maybe is this dragon. It's the Hebrew word tanin, all right? And it's interesting. It's talking about some sort of creature 
that I think is reminding us of what we now know to be dinosaurs. Now, that sounds a little crazy, but let me see if I can explain that a little. Do we have any um, fishermen here? Come on. Yes. Well, fisherwoman. You won't work. I know, but you're a female, so it's not going to work. Sorry. Do we have any men that fish? Right here. Is this your wife, perhaps? Okay, so no offense. You'll know in a moment why it wouldn't work with you, okay? Now, when you go out fishing, tell me, or or let me ask you, ma'am. When he goes out fishing, and he, he comes home and he says, I caught a fish this big, and you open up the cooler, and, it, and it's that big. Am I right? She's a little scared to answer me, but <laughs> it's okay. Yeah, yeah, I know, he's sitting really close, she says. But yeah, oh, oh, she said this. <laughs> Ouch, I was giving you a little leeway here, so. See, that's called a fish story, right? You understand that? And men in particular tend to make things bigger than they really are, okay? Our stories are much more vibrant, you know, as we catch the mighty fish, right? Okay. But, you know, I wonder if that gives us an idea about these stories of dragons, all right? You know, could it be that there is some truth to them and that perhaps they are a fish story, an exaggeration of something that really happened? And let me explain what I mean by that. Let me introduce you to a dinosaur. His name is Dracorex. All right, this is a real dinosaur. Pretty amazing looking skeleton or skull, don't you think? And it's interesting because National Geographic, are you guys familiar with that publication? Uh, are you guys aware that it is not a Christian public? Okay, you are aware of that. Okay. However, they hired an artist to make an artist's conception of what Dracorex may have looked like. All right, and they put him right on the cover. There he is. What does that look like to you? If I had hired Disney to give me a dragon, would it have looked anything different than this? You know, there's one thing that you need to understand is if you have your phone on, definitely turn it off. (laughs) It's so rude. Okay. (laughs) Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, gosh, we've had a lot of technical difficulties today. Half of them have been my fault, so not bad. But one thing that you need to understand is that the dragon stories that we know of today are not Disney movies. These are historical accounts. They occur in thousands of history books. Thousands of history books, we hear these stories of these dragons, these huge reptilian monsters and men doing things such as slaying them or protecting people from them. These th- stories actually occur on every continent in this, on this planet with the exception of Antarctica. They span thousands of years by all different people, but yet the descriptions they have of what they call these dragons match with what we know about dinosaurs. Even Marco Polo himself in his histories talked about how he and his crew slayed one of these mighty dragons. If we go into Europe, we find the story of St. George, okay, who slayed the mighty, this terrible reptilian creature that was about to devour the king. Now, could there be some truth to this? And it's just a bit of a fish story based on something that really happened. 
The legends of dragons, for instance, farther in Europe, we have in, in Wales, in China, you've heard of the year of the pig, the year of the donkey, the year of the, of the whatever, right? Eleven things that we all know that exist with us today, save one, the year of the dragon. Yet all the other eleven are animals that live with us today. I don't think that's a coincidence. I think it really did exist, and they're talking about it. Even here in North America, we have the legends of the mighty thunderbirds, all right? This was a huge flying reptile. They even drew them on their cave walls. And it's interesting because pterosaurs, which are huge uh, reptiles, their fossils are found in Utah, Texas, and Arizona, the exact place where these legends started. I don't think that's a coincidence. I think these men very much have seen these. You know, in, uh, in uh, cave or wall paintings that predate the discovery of dinosaurs, this was discovered in 1879, but drawn hundreds of years before that time, it looks like another a hadrosaur, one of those big theropods. How about this? Can you see that? The neck, the tail, the legs, all right? This is what I think could be a sauropod dinosaur predating the discovery of dinosaur bones in the 1800s by hundreds of years. How did they know what it looked like? Let's go back into Europe in Carlisle Cathedral in England. Here is the tomb of, Sir Richard, of, of Bishop Richard Bell. Now, he was buried in 1496, all right? So we're talking about over 300 years before the first dinosaur bones were discovered. But carved in the brass around his tomb, what we have is what I believe could be, and probably is, a sauropod dinosaur, okay? And let's go into Asia. Here is the uh, Angkor Wat Temple, okay? And I want to zoom in on that middle image right there. Do you guys see that? What is it, kids? What is it? Stegosaur. Stegosaur. You guys all know what it is, so it's so obvious. You can see the alternating plates on the back, the horns in the front. This, was, this temple was dedicated in 1186 A.D., 700 years before the first dinosaur bones were discovered. Can you think of any reasonable explanation of how they knew what stegosaur looked like? They Maybe they saw it, okay? Perhaps. So that's the kind of thing we're doing. By the way, there's a book back there called Dire Dragons. At least one of them was sold this morning. I don't know if we have any left, but there are about 100 examples of artwork that predate the discovery of dinosaur bones that we show how they match the descriptions of real dinosaurs that we're aware of today. The evidence is quite strong. Now, how many people here have heard of the idea of the age of the dinosaurs when they ruled the earth and nothing else survived because they were the kings of this planet? Yeah, of course you have. I think there's even a movie with that name, you know, a movie talking about that. But you know what? Turns out, you're going to have to get that out of your mind. Because for the last few decades, we found something kind of shocking. You see, in the same sedimentary layers where we find the dinosaur bones, we also find mammals. This squirrel, they, de- they actually date before the extinction of dinosaurs. This beaver, well into the dinosaur period. All right, And this is one of my favorite, this little badger-like animal. All right? had a rare, in, in a rare instance, it was um, uh, preserved so well that we could actually determine its stomach contents. And in this case, guess what was inside that badger's stomach? Two baby Psittacosauruses. 
So here we have a mammal that had a two little dinosaurs for breakfast. Okay? So the age of the dinosaurs, this evidence kind of puts that. You see, they used to believe that mammals evolved after that. And the idea of birds, we even find birds that are buried in the same layers as dinosaur bones, indicating that indeed some of these stories that we've been told over and over again, they've had to change. In fact, we've found 532 mammal species in the same layers as dinosaur bones, upsetting that idea of the evolutionary path of, of, uh, of mammals evolving afterwards. Now, did all of you guys understand what I just shared with you? And could you picture yourself sharing that with other people? All you need to do is be, read up a little, and you can try to help influence your culture in the same way. All right, now dinosaurs. Now, the word dinosaur is not in the Bible, but is it possible there are dinosaurs referenced in the Bible? You know, for instance, in Job chapter 40, there is a creature named Behemoth. Okay, God is giving Job an example of talking about his glory in what he created. He's saying, Job, could, could you create this? Could you do this? Could you do that? And then he refers to this massive creature, the most colossal of all of God's creatures, of his land creatures, Behemoth. He was huge. And the description might match what we now know about dinosaurs, and I think it probably does. One of the descriptions, they say, is that his tail is like a cedar tree. Now, in the Middle East, cedar trees are huge. That's what they used to build the temple. They are monstrous. But it's really interesting because if you um, take a look at the most popular English translation of the Bible today, there is a footnote right there in Job 40, and it says, it says this is probably or this could be a hippo or an elephant. Okay? Now, does that look like a cedar tree to you? Okay? <laughs> So I believe that perhaps that, that the Bible is very firm that God did create these colossal beasts, all right? And when, and when Job was telling, when God was telling Job to look at this, he was going, look, Job, you see my glory in these creatures. And when we see these massive, massive creatures, you know, that's the same thing I think of. Once again, use your biblical glasses when you're looking at dinosaurs and see God's glory. Now, there are a lot of questions that some of you might have when it comes to dinosaurs. You know, one of them would be, were the dinosaurs on the ark? All right? So what's the answer to that question? Well, I would say yes. Now, I have two reasons to think that. There might be more. One of them is that Job, who saw Behemoth, and if Behemoth was a dinosaur, he lived after the flood. But I think more important than that, does the Bible say that God brought two of every kind of creature to the ark except for dinosaurs or anything else? See, it would be inconsistent with what God did. All right? Now, the other question that you might come up with regarding the ark is, how in the world could all those dinosaurs fit on the ark? You know, it seems like Noah must have like a space problem going on here. All right? But again, let's consider that question using our biblical glasses, all right? So thinking biblically, let me ask you this. How big was the ark? Does anybody know? Approximately? Yeah, you think so? 30 cubits high, you are correct. You get a big star for that. I would say no one your age has ever been able to know that, and most adults don't. But 30 Yes, 
30 cubits high is approximately correct. Very good. But it was much longer than, than that. In fact, it was huge. It was about 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and about 45 feet high. And you see the two people standing on top of the ark? Okay, that gives you an idea of how big of a vessel this was. It was huge, all right? In fact, it was so big that you could fit 522 railroad cars inside the ark. Now, that's, that's a lot. That's a train that's eight miles long. You don't really want to be waiting for that one to go by. But you see, a stock car that carries, um, that carries animals actually would hold, that, that many cars would hold 125,000 animals the size of a sheep. Okay? Now, today, only 11% of the animals alive today are larger than a sheep. So you can see it's very, very big. In fact, we believe that, uh, and we've done um, some genetic research to find out it would take about 16,000 individual land animals and birds on the ark in order to get all the genetic diversity we have on the planet today. Okay? So we've got plenty of room. This was a massive vessel. All right? And one thing you need to know, you can see, can you see the dinosaurs walking up there right, right here? You know, you can see a sauropod or a uh, theropod getting ready to go on there. Here's a sauropod right here. It was a huge vessel, but it looked absolutely nothing like this, okay? <laughs> you need to get that idea out of, your, out of your mind, and we don't want to get our kids with that idea either. How? Yes? Yeah, you, you can't be, don't be stealing my thunder. I'm getting to that. You're doing very good. <laughs> However, dinosaurs were huge. They were monstrous. But did you know this? That the average size dinosaur was the size of a sheep. That was the average. Now, you might not have known that because you've seen Jurassic Park. And the reason is, is because if they showed the little tiny ones, okay, like that, it wouldn't be a very good movie because they would just go, boosh, like that and kick those ones away, right? But nonetheless, some of them, just like Eva said, is, you are correct. Some of them were very small. And guess what? All the dinosaurs started out in eggs. All right? And the largest dinosaur egg that we've discovered so far is 18 inches. All right? So the question is, how big of a dinosaur do we need to put on the ark? I'd say they were very young dinosaurs, maybe even pre-teen, based on all, the way we think of it, pre-adolescent. All right, because I mean, do you think God would want to put on some uh, old stinky grandpa dinosaur on the ark? And I was not looking at any <laughs> anybody at that time. I didn't mean anything. Or do you think that he would have some young dinosaurs with plenty of breeding years left in order to obey his command to repopulate the earth? All right. Now, another question that you might have is how many dinosaurs were there on the ark? You know, because there are quite a few. And that would apply to birds and, and, and dogs and all kinds of different things. You might go, well, there's so many animals. But let's keep in mind that what the Bible says is that God brought two of every kind of animal onto the ark. So really what we need to find out is what do we mean by kind? Now, what we've determined is that with all the diversity that's in the dinosaur um, genome or the genetics today, that there would be approximately 50 kinds of dinosaurs on the ark, and that's all. So 100 individuals is all we need. 
Now, what do we mean by kinds? Well, let me explain with something that you might be more familiar with. Okay? Here on the left is Gibson. In 2004, he was the world's largest dog. And if you can see down there below to the right, that is Boo Boo. In 2007, was the world's smallest dog. All right, looks like Gibson's looking for a snack right now. <laughs> However, regardless of what you think, they're both dogs. All right? They are, they are actually real dogs, okay? And it's kind of interesting because um, you remember that um, National Geographic, we were talking about that, non-Christian publication. What they did is, the, is scientists have, have actually mapped the dog genome, just like they've mapped the human genome. You've heard about that, right? But we've actually figured out what dogs are. And what they determined was that all dogs, from Gibson all the way to Boo Boo, all descended from a common kind of dog that was wolf-like. And they put it right there on the cover of their magazine to show that all dogs descended from a common kind. Exactly what the Bible has been telling us all along. You see, science supports exactly what the Bible says. So, getting back to dinosaurs. You guys know what this is? Somebody? Triceratops. Very good. Exactly. But you see, what we do is we try to figure out what was that original kind. And what we call it is the ceratopsian kind of dinosaur. Now, these are all different species, okay? But the similarities, can you see them? Okay? And if you look around the room, there's a lot of differences here, right? We have all different sizes, shapes, colors, and and things like that. Same thing. We're all part of the human kind that God created, all descended from Adam and Eve. However, we believe that this is what God would have brought into the ark as a ceratopsian kind, and all the genetic diversity needed to make all these species would have been there. So, as you can see, 50 kinds of dinosaurs on the ark, 100 individuals, and they're really small, no problem fitting all the animals we need on the ark. Another question you might ask is, well, if they were on the ark, then where are they now? All right? And I have a scientific answer for you. Are you ready? I don't know, okay? And that's the problem. See, scientists do not know what happened. There's lots of theories out there about what led to the extinction of the dinosaur. Of course, the most popular one from the 1980s is that big asteroid that hit somewhere around the Yucatan Peninsula. Now, please understand that that probably is an event. The evidence for it is very strong. Believe that it was part of that catastrophic event in the worldwide flood. A lot of stuff was happening. But why did only the dinosaurs go extinct? Why not other things? There are other theories out there. Some of them are a little interesting, like that a plant evolved that had um, alkaloids like opium in it. And of course, you can imagine what that would do to dinosaurs if they really got hooked. Also, a, a food that, had no fi- that was low in fiber. That's another one of the theories that's out there. And you know what that would do. But how many people here have heard the idea that birds actually haven't gone extinct? Uh, excuse me, that dinosaurs haven't gone extinct. They're just with us in the form of birds today. Have you heard this? Now, it's very popular to hear this. Okay? Now, this idea probably started in about 1877 when they found this creature, Archaeopteryx, in Germany in a mine right there. All right? Now, here's an artist's conception by secular scientists of what Archaeopteryx most likely looked like. All right? I don't know what that looks like to you, but... Let's talk about it for a moment. Okay, it looks pretty clear to me. It is kind of an odd-looking 
bird, but I still say it is bird. Now, according to evolution, they say that reptiles evolved into birds. So let's talk about some of the differences there. Now, do reptiles have a slow or a fast metabolism? Slow. And birds? Really fast. Do reptiles, do, are they cold-blooded or warm-blooded? Cold. And birds? Warm. Do you know the differences between those systems? Uh, reptiles are covered with? And birds with? A scale it does not grow out of a follicle. It's a fold in the skin. You know when the snake sheds its skin, it comes out as a one big sheet. Okay? Birds lose their feathers one at a time, just like we have follicles that our hair grows out of. Do you know the differences between these things? And they say that one evolved from the other. Even the way they breathe is different. For instance, um, dinosaurs have what are called bellows lungs, just like we do. All right? In fact, let's demonstrate that. Everybody take a breath in. Let it out. Okay, we just demonstrated bellows lung. Our diaphragm pulls the air in and out. The air goes up and down, in and out, over and over and over again, but birds do not breathe this way. Birds have a flow-through lung. It's called countercurrent exchange, and it goes in a cycle. Their lungs are shaped in a circular, circular uh, method so that more of the oxygen can get into their bloodstream. It's a special design that God made just for birds. You want to know how much evidence there is for reptiles evolving into birds with lung capacity alone? There isn't any. The idea of reptiles and, and feathers, all those things that we talked about. And in fact, our reptiles have solid bones, and most birds have hollow bones. Folks, these are huge differences. In fact, the world's authority on birds today at the University of North Carolina says there's no way that birds could have evolved from reptiles. He is fighting that cause, yet that's what we're told all the time. Now, if we did find something like this, we'd have something to talk about. But until that time, I don't think so. There's my favorite theory on extinction right here. All right. Kids, remember? No, I'm just kidding. And here's a very unbiblical one, but I just thought I'd throw that one in too. However, you know, I think the flood gives us an idea of really the extinction. Keep in mind that there was only, only the kinds, two of every kind came off of the ark, you know. And I think that they would have had a very difficult time surviving what happened right after the flood. And what that is, according to our studies, we don't know this for a fact, but the evidence seems to be very clear that after the flood for about 700 years, there was what was called an ice age. And this would have been a very difficult environment for large reptiles to survive, especially being cold-blooded. And I think this would have an impact on at least decreasing their population. But obviously, if they lived longer, you know, that is the case. But here I have another, another uh, idea for you. Um, sir, you are a fisherman. Do you hunt? Sure. You do, right. You do the same thing? You know, kind of, kind of, yeah, you do, yeah, you, yeah, there's, there's, there's fish stories, there's all kinds of stories. But let me ask you a question. If, if a dinosaur came into your backyard uh, this afternoon, what would happen? Shoot. You'd shoot it. Your wife would scream. She's not going to let you back in unless you kill it, okay? It's ruining your garden and your fence. It's 
bumping into your house and knocking it down, right? So you're going to do something about it. It's interesting because in third world countries today, elephants are actually considered a nuisance by people, some people. And they've come into villages knocking down huts, destroying their gardens, and threatening the lives of the people inside. And they have, with spears, not with guns, with spears, these men have downed these huge elephants. It happens all the time. Go on YouTube. You'll be able to see it. All right? But here's another idea. Um, could it be that... Um, Skipped it. Got to get my little picture in here. There we go. Um, if indeed the dinosaur came in the backyard back long, long ago, I think every red-blooded man is going to do something about it because not only is it going to destroy property, maybe my garden, and my wife's not going to let me in for dinner unless I kill it, all right? But maybe another reason would be so that when I kill it, I'm going to be able to get enough meat to feed the entire village. But better than that, I'm going to go down <laughs> as the one that killed the terrible dragon. You with me? Does that make sense of the thousands of dragon historical accounts we have that match what we now know about dinosaurs? I think, have any other animals been hunted to the point of extinction? Yeah. So I think that possibly this is another thing that could be. Now, you guys all understand everything I said? Can you imagine yourself sharing these kind of things with your family and friends to show them that the Bible is true? And that's why we talk about dinosaurs. You know, I think kids, big kids and little kids, we all love those. And I think we can actually use that as, as a way in order to introduce even the truth of the Bible, as if, as if they're kind of like missionaries in a way to help us to to introduce this idea that the Bible is trustworthy and that its historical count is true. Because as we talked about this morning, we need to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks us to give the reason for the hope that we have. We need to have that defense. And some English translations take that word and call it argument. All right, and we'll talk about that a little bit longer because it isn't an argument, but it is a defense for what we need to have. And if we don't have a defense, you know, what's going to happen? If we go around sharing the gospel and say, Jesus loves you, but if they don't believe the Bible, can we get anywhere with that? Because you know what? They have questions, right? You guys raised your hands this morning and talked about all those questions. And those questions, if we don't have the answer, you can see what's going to happen. And that's really the heart of our ministry is that everyone here, young and old, will have that answer in those debates. And when those young people come home, moms and dads, grandma and grandpa, we need to have answers for them. Because you guys remember those statistics we talked about this morning? I'm going to tell you, this is one of the big reasons that it happens, because they're being told over and over again that the Bible's not true. So dinosaurs are awesome. You know, God, he said to Job, he said, Job, consider my most colossal beef, behemoth. It speaks of my glory. And that's when I see, using my biblical glasses, when I see dinosaurs, that's the first thing I think of is God's glory. So that's why we talk about dinosaurs. All right? Now we'll go ahead and have um, an open question and answer time. That's one of the reasons you guys came here. There are some rules. Um, one is that you need, everything needs to be in the form of a question. It's just like Jeopardy, okay? 
not a statement, but a question. It needs to deal with some of the things we've talked about, but anything dealing with the evolution-creation debate. I'm not going to be talking about eschatology or baptismal methods or any other kind of doctrine like that, just specifically in this area. And like I said, it needs to be a question. Now, a lot of people, there are a lot of people that are shy, you know, and they have a question they don't want to ask. And so instead of, you know, that, that's typically the first question that people don't want to be the one to ask the first question, you know, like that. So what we're going to do is we're going to skip the first question and go right to the second one. Who has that? <laughs> Come on. Who has the second question? Yes, ma'am. Okay, do, and I'll repeat the questions, and if I don't, please ask me too. She said, do we know of any dinosaurs that spit fire? No. Now, first off, there's a lot of reasons for that, because we didn't live back there in order to observe it happening. Um, we don't really have a great explanation, but most of the dragon legends do not include breathing fire. Now, those are the ones that are exaggerated in Disney movies, because that's pretty cool. But the idea of the spitting fire, I believe, is part of the fish story. However, Dracorex, that one that I showed you before, does have an extra cavity in his skull that we do not know what it's for. And we don't want to postulate and say, this could indeed be something that could be caused for that. Um, however, there is an animal that lives today. It's called the bombardier beetle. All right? It's a little tiny bug. Okay? And inside its abdomen, it has two chambers. And there are two chemicals that are added that come. There's a very fancy, very intricate system that God designed in this animal. And when those two chemicals are combined in a combustion chamber, it spits out a fluid that is above boiling. Okay? It's really hot. And this happens in a split second. Okay? Now, can you imagine, for one reason, let's talk about that, that maybe that's a picture of what the dinosaur thing, but I don't think that we should be um, real firm on that because we don't really know. However, <laughs> how in the world did that bug evolve? I mean, when you think about this, it, it, these two combi- what it has to be perfect because if not, you have a beetle that <laughs> blows up, you know? It has to be absolutely perfect, and all that system has to be working all at the same time. But yet evolution tells us that things like that happen slowly over millions of years through small genetic mutations and natural selection. Yet that system is so complex, as well as pretty much all of the biological systems that we can observe in animals and plants. That's just one example of things that show that, indeed, evolution can't be true. Yes, sir? Did we ever find a dinosaur with one finger? I don't think we've ever found a dinosaur with any fingers. Um, you know, they're going to have appendages off of their hand. Claws, one. Uh, I, not that I know of. I do not know of a dinosaur that has just one claw off of, like, one arm. I'm not saying that isn't the case, but I don't know of any. But if we did, that'd be cool. <laughs> there are a lot of similarities in God's design, though. You know, the multiple fingers and appendages and stuff. God used a lot of the same design over and over again when he created things. And so there are things in dinosaurs that remind us of all kinds of different creatures because it works really well. Yes? What are the dinosaurs' teeth made of? Uh, pretty, what are the dinosaurs' teeth made of? Um, that's a good question. I assume they're made out of very similar material than our teeth, uh, dentin and enamel. But uh, you know what? 
I do not know that answer, but I would assume that is the case. So perhaps go on to our website, which is what? Do you remember? Very good. Creation.com. And type in dinosaur teeth. See if you have something there. I, I haven't read any articles about it, but who knows? You might find the answer there. Yes, sir. I have no idea. Would, would dinosaurs die if they breathed fire because the smoke would get trapped in its lungs? Maybe. I just don't really think that those dinosaurs were breathing fire. Could be, but I kind of doubt it. Yes, ma'am? Who was the first person to be, see a dinosaur? Let me ask you a question. Remember when we talked about the days of creation? There were six days. Do you remember that? Okay. Do you remember what God created on day six? Humans and land animals, which would include dinosaurs. So who was the first human? Adam. And now, did Adam name all the animals? Yeah. Does it say that? Yeah. Okay, what's the answer? Yeah. Adam. Adam. I would say Adam was the first one. Yes, sir. Is there actually any evidence for an actual ice age? Oh, yes. Okay, his question is, is there any evidence for an, an ice age? Overwhelmingly, absolutely, without question, there was an ice age. Um, just north of us in New York, okay, there's what's called a moraine. Uh, it's like a dike where the glaciers came down, and as they pushed debris in front of them, it left a line that crosses across the North American continent. tells us pretty much the exact limit of the, uh, of the glaciers. That also happens over in Asia. And um, uh, the striation marks in granite as these... Um, uh, Glaciers came across and, and scraped rocks along the bottom. Um, massive inland lakes that were formed by glaciers, like Lake Missoula, which is, the evidence is overwhelming that that was held back by a, a glacier. And when all of the water that was covering an area about the size of the state of Montana, not in Montana, but about that size, when it released, that's what carved the Badlands in western um, uh, Washington, as well as carve the Columbia Gorge, sending it out into the Pacific Ocean. Those are just things I can think of offhand. If you go onto our website, which is, okay, you will find even more information on that. Or if you get the answers book, you can go to chapter 16 and read, What About the Ice Age? Okay? And you'll find evidence there. But if you really want to get really technical, go on our website, and you'll have more evidence than you knew what to, to, to do with. Yes, sir. What about creatures like Leviathan that are mentioned in the same timeline of the dinosaurs? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think so. Is Leviathan at the same time of the dinosaurs? I think, you know, God created him on day six. Uh, he's a weird creature. We don't know what it is. There's lots of ideas of what it might be, but we really don't know. His description is weird. But there's a lot of weird creatures alive today, and there are a lot of weird creatures that existed in the past. You know, there's a lot of very interesting creatures that are made up of all kinds of different things. So God's pretty creative, apparently. So. His question is, is there evidence of dinosaur bones and human bones in the, same, in the same place? The answer is no. All right. Now, that shouldn't surprise us too much. Um, there's also no evidence of human bones and coelacanth together. 
What's coelacanth, you might ask? <laughs> well, let me tell you. Coelacanth is a, is a fish, all right, that they said went extinct at the same time of the dinosaurs 65 million years ago. So why did they say that? Because this particular fish had what's called lobe fins, all right? We have some lobe fin, fins fish today, but these were big. Um, the coelacanth was anywhere from three, four feet long. It's a big, big fish. And it had what's called lobe fins, which means it had bones inside. Now, they were not attached to any of the skeletal structure of the fish, but they taught, the scientists taught for decades that this was a transitional form of a fish right about to walk up onto land. Okay? You with me? Until 1938. And that's when Japanese fishermen off of the coast of Madagascar caught one. Since that time, they've been catching them and putting them in the fish market. In our new documentary that we're making right now that's going to come out on October 17th, and you guys are, your pastor's going to get a copy of that, you guys will be able to see that uh, sometime after October. We actually have a picture of a, of a coelacanth that is caught, caught live and he's swimming around. So here's the deal. Are there fossils of coelacanth and humans together? No. Is the same story they say is true with dinosaurs? Yes, but that's not the case. There's actually lots and lots of what we call living fossils. Okay? Animals that they say lived hundreds of millions of years ago that look exactly the same today as they did hundreds and hundreds of millions of years ago. The list goes on. Horseshoe crabs, bats. I mean, in fact, pretty much every animal that's alive, we will find a fossilized form of it, and it looks just like the one today with no evolution showing. But there's another explanation of probably why the humans and dinosaurs don't exist. That is because we don't have many human uh, fossils. All right? And indeed, in the geologic column, as you guys maybe remembered in, in science books, you have what they, call, what they call simple life forms below and then more and more complex life. Now, one thing that's interesting, 95% of all fossils that have been found, animal fossils that have been found, not including plants, because plant fossils outnumber animals by a, a margin of about 10 times. Lots of plant foss, uh, fossils. But of the animal fossils, 95% of them are marine invertebrates. These are animals that live on the bottom of the ocean. They're not very mobile, okay? So they would be buried in a cataclysmic flood first in those bottom layers. And as we increase up these layers, as a record of the worldwide flood, what we find is more mobile and more intelligent creatures as we go up. But as you go up, it's less and less samples of those animals. Like I said, there's only 1,200 complete dinosaur skeletons. Humans, hardly any. Can anybody think? And the only ones that are are in those top layers. Can anybody think of why that would be? Not a lot of horse fossils either. Anybody? Huh? They ran, right? They had the intelligence and the mobility in order to make it out of those floodwaters. Okay? So that would be the reason they're, they're, that we have not found those. Just like we haven't found a lot of prehistoric creatures. Her hand was up first, so I'll go with... with yes, yes, you... Oh, through the biblical... According to the Bible, how old is the earth? Well, I told you this morning that if you took the chronogenealogies, where so-and-so was so old when his son was born and he was so old when his son was born, you could do some simple mathematics. You can add up, and then what we do is we take the dates that are clearly talked about when they say, in the 12th year of the reign of king so-and-so, right? Well, we have historical accounts, okay? And we can come up with a very accurate 
um, date. It's approximately, are you guys ready? It's approximately 6,100 years, give or take 50. The only reason we say give or take 50 is because when so-and-so was born in the year that so-and-so was sold, we don't know if his birthday was on January 1st, December 31st, or where in between. He just turned that age during that year. All right, so we really don't know. So that, that would be it. So if you go onto our website, which is? Come on. When you go into our website, which is? You can look up our article about, um, I think if you type in how old is the earth, we actually have a detailed showing the calculations that you can go and check for yourself and see if indeed that is the case. A lot of people have done that over the years, and uh, we just have accumulated a lot of that evidence and put it together, but the Bible's pretty clear. I know that's crazy, folks, but that's what the Bible tells us. Yes, ma'am. Well, that would be an independent, what is the most ferocious dinosaur? Um, that would be a matter of opinion, but I think pretty much everybody would agree the king, the T Tyrannosaurus Rex. I think he is the scariest one. Yeah. All right. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, I didn't, I skipped you. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Sure. So her question is, what about cavemen? How do you answer that question? Huh? Actually, I think it is true. I think it is true. There were cavemen. Yeah, yeah. And there's somebody in the Bible, there's somebody in the Bible that lived in a cave. And he became the king of Israel. His name was David. So David was a caveman. Okay, because he lived in a cave. Also, we have evidence of caves where men drew artwork decorating the walls of their homes. And I think in particular in the Ice Age, the cave would have been perhaps a really good place to live if you lived far to the north, close to the glaciated areas, which is where most of the caves are, especially in Europe. They're just south of the limit of, the, of those glaciers. Um, so I think what a caveman is, it's a man that lived in a cave. And, um, and there are cavemen. Here's the problem. They were not these big brutes that went around, yeah, <laughs> which couldn't talk. They were humans that could speak. And here, here's, here's something interesting. You guys have heard of Neanderthal, right? Okay. Now, back in the 1800s, when they discovered these guys' skeletons, what they said is this is a transitional form from those early ape-like uh, animals into the humans, Okay. No credible, well, no, I would, I would virtually say no scientist believes that anymore. I won't even say, I mean, it's just, it's completely considered to be ridiculous now. And there's a bunch of reasons for that. Um, they are considered completely 100% homo sapien. Now, there are reasons for that. Number one, one of the most amazing thing is, believe it or not, they found some Neanderthals and they've been able to map portions of their genome. The DNA is still intact, which brings a lot of questions about how old they were supposed to have been, just like that dinosaur DNA that's been discovered. However, in this case, they've discovered that they played musical instruments, they buried their dead in ritualistic ways, and they even wore makeup because we found pestles with dyes in them, and they did do artwork. Neanderthals are not these big, (laughs) they were humans. In fact, their brain capacity was larger than we have, okay? Uh, brain capacity is not correlated to intelligence, though. Okay. As long as we're on that, I'll go ahead and share another thing with you. Birds, of all the animal, are probably the smartest animals on the planet. 
what birds have been able to do um, uh, has dwarfed what dolphins and chimpanzees have done. Um, birds, uh, African gray parrots have developed languages where they develop new sentences. They're not just mocking words, they're actually speaking and putting together. If you go to our website, which is? And look up Alex, A-L-E-X. Alex is a African gray parrot. You'll find an incredible story about how this parrot basically was conversing with the scientist, the human. Crows have been able to solve meta puzzles. And you can even go onto YouTube right now and look up Meta, M-E-T-A, Meta Puzzles Crows. Put that in there. And secular uh, PBS and these, these uh, uh, programs have shown what crows can do. Chimpanzees and dolphins haven't even touched. And yet birds have brains this big. So intelligence is not a correlation to brain size. Yet they tell us that we're most closely related to chimpanzees, but yet why would it be that birds would be more intelligent? Yes, sir. What was the smartest dinosaur? I have no idea. I will say that we're pretty sure they weren't too bright. And they had huge brains, but they weren't too bright. They are reptiles. You ever seen a smart reptile? Not too smart. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. How long did dinosaurs live before they got extinct? Um, I know they went extinct 65 million years ago, and I believe that they believe, according to them, according to evolutionary, and they say that they came in in the 200-some million. So it would be a little over 100 million years, according to evolutionists. But what really probably happened is about 4,500 years ago, all but two of every kind were wiped out in the flood, all right? And those that came off of the ark uh, began to repopulate the earth, but they had a hard time dealing with that because of an ice age that lasts about 700 years. And based on some of the evidence that we've seen tonight, and it's in that book, Dire Dragons, humans did see dinosaurs, and there are accounts that come up even in the last 1,000 years B.C. There's even accounts, St. George is A.D. Yikes! Which, so the answer is we don't know, but I would say um, they would have lived somewhere around somewhere between 1,700 years and at the best limit, um, about 3,500. Somewhere between 1,700 and 3,500 years is when dinosaurs, from the time they were created until they went extinct. That's a guess. Don't take that to the bank. I'm just, I'm just guessing, but it would be about that. Okay? Yes, sir. Pastor has a question? I, do. I thought he knows everything. Uh-oh. The picture you showed where the fossilized uh, dinosaurs went up the hill to the river the water, do you remember what region of the world that is in? Yeah, that's at Dinosaur Ridge National Monument in Colorado, just uh, west of, uh, just southwest of Denver. Now, keep in mind that I, when I'm doing these presentations, I can't go into too many details because if I do, some of you will fall asleep, and I don't want to do that. That... <laughs> that layer actually is not, was not that steep. The evidences of seismic uplift to put it at that steep angle were the case. But the fact that they were slipping and they were working on mud shows that it was at a slope, but it was not at that steep of a slope. But that's where you can find that. But those dinosaur um, trackways, like I said, they're over, I mean, there's millions and millions and millions of dinosaur tracks. 
and the only way that those could be made is if they were in some kind of mud. You know, if, it, if it's dry dirt, it's not going to leave a track, am I right? And the only way they're preserved is through catastrophic burial of another layer on top. Yes, sir? What would cause temperatures to get so cold after the flood? Now, one thing you need to remember, in order to have an ice age, you don't need just cold. That's only one of the elements you need, all right? But with the, the theory goes, you know, what we believe happened, we weren't there, so we don't know. But it talks about the fountains of the Great Deep opening, and it's possible that some of that would be the volcanic activity across the Atlantic Ridge. The Atlantic Ridge is the largest mountain uh, range in the world, and it's underneath the Atlantic Ocean, it's where we believe the plates of one landform once were, and as they split apart, which is the mechanism that we believe God used in order to have the worldwide flood. Shooting ash up into the atmosphere. When Mount St. Helens erupted, okay, for months, the world temperature, the temperature in the world went down two degrees on average for about three months. Now, Mount St. Helens was a puny little volcano. What we're talking about is something that was massive. And so some of that ash in the air would have dropped the, the, uh, the temperature in a great way. But what you really need for an ice age is snow. And the way you get snow isn't just making things cold. You also need moisture. All right? So with that volcanic activity warming the oceans, the, the oceans, and we're talking about volcanic activity like you guys can't even imagine. We're talking about unbelievable. When God destroyed the earth... He did it but good, all right? And as those wor oceans warm, causing geysers to, to send torrential rain for 40 days, but still the oceans would have remained warm, increasing the evaporation. And as those moist uh, air went over the cold continents, it would have dropped snow. Snow is what you need in order to form glaciers and have an ice age, okay? It wasn't really all that cold as much as it was the snow just built up and built up. And I, I'm going to get to you. Uh, but let me tell you another thing. This is kind of interesting. In World War II, um, there were three P-38 Lightnings, which I think is the coolest plane ever built. The ones with the two fuselages. Guys, are you with me? Is that a cool plane or what? They escorted a, uh, a, a, a B-29 bomber over to Europe, but instead of going across the Atlantic for strategic reasons, they decided to go over the North Pole. When they got to Greenland, um, the bomber started having mechanical problems, so they landed it on a glacier in Greenland. Okay, they radioed in their, and the P-38s landed too, um, with a little bit of damage, because glaciers aren't a great thing to land on, okay? But all the men survived, and they were picked up um, and rescued. And they found that plane in 1990-something. I don't remember the exact date. What they did is they, they tried, they'd been looking for it, looking for those planes, and they found, finally found it. It was three miles away from the place where they had marked it in World War II. It was under almost 300 feet of snow just since World War II, okay? It does not take... Now, by the way, they did core samples in those same layers, and they said that those core samples represented millions of years. <laughs> okay, I said I, w I won't... Was it you? What did, yeah, what did Aiden do? What did what? I, I don't know how to pronounce it. Um, Say the word again. Aided? Aided? Oh, aided. Did yes, something a, a i d e d? I don't remember my sentence, so I don't know what I was meaning. Something aided. Maybe I said that the the ash in the atmosphere aided in uh, aided in making it cooler. Aid. You know, when you give aid, you give help. So it aided. It helped. 
I just use really big words, then people think I'm smarter than I am. <laughs> yes? Can, can you speak to why uh, carbon-14 dating isn't as reliable as we think it is to believe? Sure. Um, okay, so I'll take a little bit of time on that. Carbon-14, and by the way, everything you've asked me is in this book, but the uh, carbon-14 is... <laughs> Chapter 4. Okay. Um, all right. I did this at lunch over a fine Mexican meal, but I'll try to do it again. Um, and sometimes I confuse people on this. So um, if you came home tonight when you get home and you heard water running in your house, a lot of water, like you, you know how you can hear it go through the pipes and, and you came home and the water was running, all right, like what are you going to do? You're going to panic, right? Because <laughs> you didn't leave the water running, right? So what happens is you go upstairs to the bathroom, and you find out that the tub, the spout is running on the tub full force, okay? There's 15 gallons in the bathtub. You with me? You have a one-gallon pail. You hold it underneath the faucet, and it takes 60 seconds to fill that one-gallon pail. You guys all follow me? Okay. 15 gallons. takes one minute. How long did it take to put 15 gallons in the tub? Really? Are you sure? Because you know what you did? You made a lot of assumptions, didn't you? Let me explain. I tricked you. I like tricking people, okay? But here's what you did. First off, you assumed that there was no water in the tub when it started. You assumed that no water was added. You assumed that the faucet had been running full force for 15 minutes and nobody was playing with it. You assumed that nobody turned it up, nobody turned it down, nobody pulled the plug to let some out. Uh, there was not a crack in the tub to leak out. Do you see all the assumptions you made? Okay. That's basically the same assumptions that are used in radioisotope dating, carbon-14 being one of those. All right? So I'll start out with carbon dating, trying to not put anybody to sleep. But carbon-14 is a radioactive element that is in nature. It's actually in all living things, including everyone in this room. So I don't know if you knew this, guys, but you are slightly radioactive. Everyone is, okay? But you have very little, so don't worry. You're not going to start glowing green or anything like that. But you have a very small amount. What we do is we look at the ratio of carbon-14 okay, to carbon-12, okay, which is the stable element that... Most that all living organisms are made of, both plants and animals. That's one of the prime things, carbon, okay? And what they do is they measure the ratio, you know, and it's somewhere in the neighborhood. I don't, it's like millions to one, all right? It might even be a billion to one. I don't remember, but it's a huge ratio, all right? Now, what happened is carbon-14 decays over time. Just like the water going into the tub, all right, it takes time, okay? And what happens is every half-life... Moms and dads, remember that term, a half-life? Okay. Every half-life, a half of the carbon-14 disappears. The, car the uh, half-life of carbon-14 is 5,730 years. So after about 5,000 years, half of it's gone. After another 5,000 years, only a quarter is left. After another 5,000 years, one-eighth is left, right? And so that ratio, if we make the assumptions, we could measure that ratio and find out how long something has been dead, where it's no longer inhaling, eating carbon-14. Okay? I know I've maybe lost half of you, but I hope some of you are catching on. If not, you can read chapter whatever I just said in the answers book. All right. 
But what happens is those assumptions have been proven to be incorrect. Let me give you a couple examples. Do we have any ladies with diamonds on their finger right now? Okay. Those diamonds are made out of carbon. In fact, they're basically 100% carbon put under pressure. And they told you that those rings were mil- those diamonds were millions of years old if you went and asked the jeweler. Here's the problem. Every time that diamonds have been crushed and t- tested for carbon-14, there's been carbon-14 in diamonds. Now, you remember, 5,000 years, there's half, quarter, eighth. Okay, that limit where it would be measurable is somewhere between 50 and 90,000 years. This is evidence showing that your rings could not be any older than 50 to 90,000 years based on the assumptions that they have. Interesting, they say they're millions, couldn't be. But basically, the evidence that we found is that in the past, we have evidence that I won't go into because people might fall asleep. That is, that those assumptions have been experimentally shown to be incorrect. I gave you the example of the uh, 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 potassium argon dating of, of a sample from Mount St. Helens that's wrong. Okay? So you, can only get, you cannot get millions of years from carbon-14 dating. You can say that for sure. You guys understand why, right? The only way you get millions of years of dating is through other radioisotopes that have half-lives that are in the millions, like the potassium-argon dating method. So I'm going to stop here because I'm going to start really boring you. Most of the people that have questions aren't going to ask that, but it's still good to have it, you know, because, you know, like I booked my flight um, to return tomorrow morning, and they gave me a window seat, and I changed it to a middle seat. Kind of stupid, huh? But the reason I did that is because now I have two potential people to talk to tomorrow (laughs) on my way home from Atlanta. I find that about 50% of them give the universal symbol of I don't want to talk to you by putting ear headphones in. That's the one, okay, I got it. I'm not going to, but the other one, they're all mine. (laughs) And if they're ready to ask me a question about carbon-14, I've got a lot more time and they're interested. I'm going to share it with you. But most people don't be scared of that. But I will tell you, that if you go to chapter four in the answers book, you will have everything you need to know in order to answer that question. (sighs) Okay. Any other questions? Yes, sir. Well, certainly they know of the anomalies or the unusual things that happen in science. But you've got to remember, even we as creationists, we have anomalies that we cannot understand too. Okay? There's a lot of things we don't know. And so what they do is they credit it up to something we'll discover in the future. We'll figure out why this isn't working. But obviously it must be true because we know evolution's true and it has to be millions, if not billions of years. So the assumption reigns. So if they get evidence, and by the way, we have in, in, on our website, which is? We have evidence of where basically the evidence is right there in their face, and they say, yeah, but there must be something wrong with the evidence because we know it's hundreds of millions of years old. Okay? And we as Christians, I know a lot of Christians that do the same thing. It's, it's called, well, you know what? I really don't care about evolution and creation. It doesn't matter. God wrote it in the Bible. I believe it. That's enough for me. Is there anything different about those two ways of thinking, the way the evolutionists? No, we need to have those answers. Yes, sir. Are alligators and crocodiles related? Um, No, 
No, they would be different created kinds of animals. Dinosaurs support their weight on columnar legs. What I mean is all their weight is supported like my, my weight is supported on my legs, straight up and down, okay? Crocodiles and alligators are supported with their, their joints like this. So they're not dinosaur-like. They have some design features that are similar to dinosaurs, but they are not dinosaur-like. They would be a different created kind, all right? And I don't want to start boring people here. Yes, sir. If 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 an animal is in the ocean, technically they're not a dinosaur. Okay, they can be marine reptiles, but um, in the in the modern classification of animals, if uh, marine dinosaurs don't exist. Now we do have um, uh, plesiosaurs, which swam. And so the, the, the line kind of gets blurred in certain parts. It does seem that there are some dinosaurs that swam, but technically they wouldn't be dinosaurs. Yes, young man, yes. Do crocodiles and alligators have claws like dinosaurs? Do they have claws? No, alligators and crocodiles do not have claws. Am I right on that? <laughs> I don't believe they do. Uh, wait. They do. Yes, they do. I, I don't I don't know. I've never I've never met a crocodile or alligator up close. Yeah. I don't, so the answer is I don't know. And you know what? Not having an answer is okay. Because one thing you can do, let's say somebody asks you a question and you don't know the answer, all right? What you can say is, that's a really good question. I'd like to find out the answer. Can we have lunch next Wednesday and we'll talk about it? And then you go to and you find the answer, all right? So at the risk, I really, I'm really waiting for somebody to start closing their eyes and falling asleep here, but yes, ma'am. Uh, yeah. Yeah, is there any scripture about the Ice Age? Perhaps, and maybe Pastor can help me um, the storehouses of snow in, in Job. Yeah, and he's talking about this, you know, what could be, could be talking about the Ice Age. And Job would have lived at that time. So that would have been a pretty, pretty clear thing to him. Now the problem is being in the Middle East, um, you know, assuming I think that's where Job would have lived, right? Then he would be pretty far away from the glaciers. He probably wouldn't have seen them because they were still 